This episode of The Minimalists is brought to you by nobody, because sucks. you're damn right they do. Every little thing you think that you need, every little thing you think that you need. Every little thing that's just feeding your greed Oh, I bet that you'd be fine without it Hey, y'all, let's record a podcast. <laughs> Sean, if, uh, if you're ready to record, if you could just give me some sort of signal, let me know that you're ready. <laughs> I suppose that will work. <laughs> Well, hello, everybody. Welcome to the Minimalist Podcast, where we discuss what it means to live a meaningful life with less. My name is Joshua Fields Milburn. And I am Ryan Nicodemus, and together we are the Minimalists. And we are live today in Minneapolis. Usually, we take your phone calls and answer them, but you're right here right now. Why not, why not just talk it out with us? So we've got a microphone up here, and, and we'll, we'll start with a handful of people. And uh, we have a special guest today. He's one of my favorite online writers, although he is not online right now. He is non-line, is the term I believe he, he coined for this. And uh, have any of you seen the, the documentary that we did, we put out last year? Nice. He was actually the last, we kept trying to, to, to get him in there and he kept saying no and we just kept twisting his arm enough. And we, we, uh, we came out here the day after Christmas and interviewed him. And uh, it was the very last interview we did. In fact, he, his interview wasn't even in the film festival version of the film. And uh, we, we finally were able to, to pin him down. And uh, uh, once you get him talking, he might not stop. So we've put seatbelts on all of your seats. And uh, we'll, we'll all just be maundering on for the next uh, five or six hours, I believe. Um, but he's one of my favorite online writers. He's an all-around outstanding human being. He's the author of a book called Enough. And he is currently offline right now, or it's actually different from offline. He is non-line right now. We're going to talk about that. He's going to be here helping us answer your questions. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome a local hometown boy here. We have Patrick Roan. For everyone who's listening, we're always hugging. I think they know. Well, Patrick, uh, welcome. Oh, you got you got to flip it up there. There we go. All right, so um, we have a microphone up here. Someone has to. Uh, this is like the Minnesota nice thing. It's going to be three hours before we before we get the first. <laughs> Thank you for breaking this. I'll tell you. You might want to ask us questions in line, uh, the hug line, but we really don't have time for that. Now is the time to ask your questions. So uh, yeah. So after the event, no we pressure. do we do a hug line. We take pictures and all that fun stuff. And I'd love to answer 500 people's questions tonight in line, but we, we won't be able to do that. So we'll have time for our hugs and all that other fun stuff afterward. But now is the time for the questions. So if you got them, bring them on up. 
Howdy. Just give us your name, where you're from, and whatever your question is. Hi, I'm Anne-Marie, and I'm from Fargo, North Dakota, of course. We're yeah. Everywhere. Oh, nice. Yeah. Fargo. I love Fargo. Uh, um, so my question, kind of, um, in all of your travels, and perhaps in talking with Colin Wright, or even um, with the refugee family you work with, um, is there something extra nefarious about America's particular brand of consumerism that makes minimalism and intentionalism something we should strive for? Mm. So, well, well, let's talk about this. I think it's, it's there, there is a, so minimalism is obviously not a, a new idea, right? Um, but, so you can go back as far as any major world religion, you can go back to the Stoics, you can go back to Thoreau, and, and, and you have these similar ideas of, of intentional, intentional living or simple living. I think what's different now is we have a new problem, and it's called consumerism. And especially... Uh, post-industrial revolution, but especially post-World War II, um, we, we've gone from this culture of uh, uh, fulfilling needs to creating false, false needs, this desire for things that we think we need, even though we may or may not. And it's becoming harder to sort of decoct and, and decide which, which of those needs are actual needs and which of those are imaginary needs. And so I, I think the new problem today is we have more access to stuff than ever. And access is a great thing, uh, but it's becoming very difficult uh, for us to, to discern whether or not those things add value to our lives because advertisers and demographers do a damn good job of, of uh, selling us asking us to to work jobs that we hate to buy shit we don't want to impress people we don't like and 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 so in the western world do 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 we have the luxuries of access yes absolutely in fact I hope that we move more to a culture of access, and we're seeing more and more and more of that with the online world, thankfully. No longer do I need to own 2,000 DVDs, right? You just you know, turn on Netflix, and you have functionally unlimited access to movies. And so uh, I think that that's one thing, or whether it's music. I don't have to own CDs. It's right there on, on my phone now. Um, so that type of access is good, but then we're also faced with the paradox of choice, I feel like. Go ahead, go ahead. But now you can own it all instantly. But now you can own it all instantly. And that's a problem, too. Yeah. Right? I mean, I, I agree with the paradox of choice thing. Um, and it's something I face. It's one of the reasons I don't I don't do streaming music services for that very reason. Because as I get there, I'm like, oh, I I, I don't know it. Uh, uh, random play, you know. <laughs> I like Shuffle. it all, you know. Seriously, it's like uh, I just yeah. I I like all music, so it's easy for me to just oh, not paying attention to it and play the stuff that I, that I have and that I like. I mean, the the problem with having access to all the world's stuff is you have access to all the world's stuff. And, um, and how do you, uh, you know, how do you dig through that? How do you discern? Yeah, I would argue that that's, you know, just a, a, another flip side of the problem. It may not be taking up space in your home, but it's taking up space in your mind. That uh, constantly being uh, bombarded with choice. Uh, the other beauty about simplifying uh, is uh, actually having less choice so that you can free your mind up to make other 
more important choices, think about other more important things, or think about nothing at all, which is also uh, important for your mind to do. Can you talk a little bit about maybe the the choice of because you you made a, a choice to limit your choices recently? Yes. I guess at least in a roundabout way. Yeah. Well, uh, no, in a very in a very intentional way. And so you have published online for a long time, whether it's uh, twenty years. There you go. And so since there has been an online, I've been publishing online. <laughs> And so whether that is to Twitter or to your own personal blog, which is is patrickrone.net, for those of you uh, uh, keeping score here and and who want to read some great stuff, it's still out there. It's just not being updated currently. That is correct. So what what spurred that choice? Um, Well, a large number of things. Uh, Like I said, I've been publishing online for as long as there has been an online. Um, To BBSs back in the day, I'm I'm old, so, you know, I, I... the kids don't know about the BBS, but I was all about the BBS uh, back in the day, dialing up the, you know, on the modem is great. Um, and I and I'd, uh, I'd I'd publish uh, to to these various online things and get feedback from other people who were dialing into the BBS and forming this nice little community, and that was great. But even before that, before self-publishing became a thing, you know, even as a kid, I was uh, typing things up on my grandmother's IBM Selectric too. Um, uh, she was a university professor just over uh, literally half mile away at, uh, in the African American Studies Department at the University of Minnesota for 30 years. Um, but uh, I would uh, type on her typewriter and write up these little books of poetry or little short stories and whatnot. And then I would copy them on the copy machine that she had in her office. And then I would fold those up and sell them to friends and family. Um, <laughs> So I've been publishing for a very long time. Uh, but, you know, the, the, there was a time when that was like I was writing with the thought that it was just going to be me and people that wanted to humor me reading it. Um, and, uh, and I didn't have the immediacy of publishing to, uh, to a website where I knew pretty much as soon as I published it, you know, hundreds of people within the first hour would be reading it, thousands perhaps within the day, and who knows how many after that. Um, and that was great, and it's exciting, uh, but it also, I think, changed my writing. I'm, I wasn't taking any time to, to park it for a while, to go back and reread it, say, oh, maybe I could say more about this, or maybe I could change that, or maybe I could, you know, like I used to. So like the the delayed gratification thing. Yeah, exactly. You know, and so I thought, hmm, I wonder what that would be like now. I wonder what it would be like if I didn't have that outlet, If, if that wasn't a choice, like it didn't used to be a choice. I wonder how my writing would change, especially as there are more than a few book projects I've kind of made various inroads on and other things I wanted to try to see. I just really wanted to see what would be different if I didn't have that choice and could go back to the old days and maybe type things up on a typewriter and copy them out of a machine and sell it to family and friends. So you're approaching, you're approaching three months on, on this. Uh, we, we couldn't figure out a good name for it. Experiment's probably not the right word. Um, yeah, uh, my partner Rebecca does something called a reset, and this maybe this almost feels like maybe it is yeah. a bit of a reset for you. Yeah, yeah, I, I definitely am resetting and going back to a previous time, 
and trying to see how that makes any sort of difference or change in my writing, especially now that I'm older. I'm a much, I hopefully, better writer, much more mature writer, and my hope is that it will improve things. I don't know. Remains to be seen. I have no, no time limit on this. Do you have any initial observations, uh, some initial lessons that you've learned? Yeah. Um, so initial lesson number one is, yes, I, I now take the time to, you know, I have this stuff that I've been building up and I've been going back and kind of rereading it and working on it. And I have various things that are kind of in just this process of, um, you know, finished but not finished, right? Finished but open to the potential for becoming better, changing, what have you. So that's one thing. And also just, you know, I thought I would miss Twitter a lot because I was a pretty active Twitter reader and Twitter user, um, more so than most of the other social networks. Um, but I found, surprisingly enough, that it wasn't Twitter that I missed the most um, and has been the hardest to not have that instinctive reaction to post to. Um, it's Instagram, of all things, which surprised me because I'm not a photographer at all, but... Um, I don't know. There was a much more intimate experience uh, with there, um, especially because it was mostly like photos of my daughter, who's uh, you know, well, extremely photogenic, and and uh, you know, who I'm, I just love to death. And so, yeah, that's that's been the hardest part. It's the the one thing I've actually had to recreate for myself, as it were. Um, so uh, I, I use a journaling app on the iPhone, and this is on the Mac and uh, such too. It's called Day One. Um, but what's nice about it is that you know it allows you to to put a picture in the, your little journal entry. Um, and so I've essentially been using that like Instagram. I I, I basically have been using it as an Instagram replacement. It's just an Instagram where I'm the only one who ever. Sees the photos and there's no liking and commenting and oh my gosh she's so cute there's none of that no you can leave comments on your on yourself I well suppose. I said I, yeah I could I, I I could I haven't really scratched that itch yet but yes I could you know it's funny you brought up the refugees um, when when they first arrived in Missoula Montana uh, it was just after Thanksgiving so it was like really really cold. Um, so like huge, huge shock to him. And, you know, as a minimalist, I was wondering, I'm like, man, like I, I, first off, I would never tell anyone what they should or shouldn't have, but I was wondering like what, how many things are they going to take? Cause there's this wonderful organization there called soft landing and they curate a bunch of donations, uh, kitchenware, you know, bathroom products, diapers. I mean, like you name it, they have the essentials. So I take them to soft landing um, just like a day or two after they arrive in Missoula, Montana. And of course, like we've got boxes and boxes and boxes of stuff uh, that we're bringing to their new apartment. Cause it's, it's an empty apartment. They came to Missoula with, you know, three, three bags um, with some clothes in it. And of course they needed some kitchenware. They needed some silverware. They needed, you know, a few things. So Christmas was coming up and um, I am part of a, an amazing volunteer team uh, who just everyone on that team just like pours their heart out into this. And they all of, I mean, I didn't, I did not get them uh, any, I take that back. I did get them a Christmas gift. Um, they kept asking for teff, which is what you make injera out of, which is like, uh, it's an, they were from uh, Eritrea, but 
uh, Eritrea used to be Ethiopia, and essentially it's kind of the same food. They both use this injera, and, and teff is what they use to make it. And they're like, you know, we went to the store, and we got some teff, but it's not any good. Like, we need, we need better teff. <laughs> so I, like, went around to all the stores and could not find – it was all the same – Brand. I'm not going to mention the brand because I don't want to like you know bash any any brand of Teff, but uh, I'm sure other people use it and it's great. They just weren't happy with it, so I went online and like ordered them some Teff flour and like that's what I gave them for Christmas. And I guess it was kind of like a Christmas gift for myself because they made some amazing injera <laughs> and Eritrean food that was just awesome. Um, but after Christmas, like they, I mean, whatever they had in their house was like doubled because of the uh the wonderful team that i'm part of who's just again just pours their heart out into this and there was a certain point where the family you would ask them do you need anything and they're like no (laughs) (laughs) we do not need anything else maybe some more tap like i mean it was things that they (laughs) like things that they actually needed and wanted but um i was just really surprised because i thought like coming because they it's not like they left their country and then came right to the States. I mean, it was like a five-year process of yeah. them going through getting vetted. They were in um, uh, refugee camps, uh, a really just amazing story, but they, they never had a lot. And um, I was very interested to see like how they would react being over here in the States. And it didn't take long for them to realize like, oh, wow, if, if we keep asking, <laughs> like we're going to keep getting stuff and then we're going to have to like make room for this stuff and we don't have any room for this stuff. Um, but people coming from a place where they had nothing, um, yeah, they certainly took like as much as they could that, uh, what they needed. And maybe they had, you know, two spatulas instead of one spatula. I mean, maybe they had a little bit more than what they needed, but it didn't take long before they started saying no. Can you Americans stop storing your shit at my house? Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for your question. Thank, Thank you sure. very much. <clears throat> Howdy. Hi. What's your name? My name's Laura. I'm from Chaska. Um, and I just want to hear your thoughts. Like, during my minimizing process, um, I've come to realize that I kind of collect things like soap and candles. And, and, like, I'm a knitter, so I collect yarn as well. And now I'm being more deliberate with what I'm buying, but I still have a lot of stuff to get through. And so I'm curious to hear your thoughts about kind of using up rather than like donating or throwing away or, you know, just getting rid of and like making, trying to use your stuff up intentionally. You probably have more than one roll of toilet paper too, don't you? We do. (laughs) (laughs) Ryan rations out the squares with Mariah. (laughs) But she's got more bathrooms than humans, so she needs that toilet Uh, Right, that makes sense. (laughs) So, so... Um, I mean, what kind of supply are we talking about? Are we talking Costco levels supplies, or are we just talking about? My my boyfriend may say yes. Uh huh. <laughs> um, you know, it's, what, what kind of stuff specifically? Like mostly soap and candles and yarn. Those are the big ones. Okay. So, so I like to delineate between just in case items. Remember, just in case, the three most dangerous words in the English language. And just for win items. Now, there are some things, like toilet paper is the, the, the prime example. I know I'm going to use toilet paper. I hope that I'm going to use toilet paper. <laughs> we hope you're going to use toilet paper, too. <laughs> and, and so, 
if I'm certain I'm going to use it, then it's a just for when item. Now I have to be honest with myself because then we can start justifying a lot of stuff like, oh uh, yeah, well, you know, I've got 30 coffee mugs and you know, that's for when those other 28 get dirty, right? And, and, and the truth is, no, I know that I'm never going to use more than a couple coffee mugs or whatever. And so I'm just honest with myself about that, but that's, that's not always easy. Um, and so once I've, I've parsed it out and said, okay, this is a just-in-case item, this is a just-for-when item, then I look at the just-for-when items and say, do I have enough space to store these things so that they're not taking up uh, too much space, they're not out in the open, they're not cluttered, they're not, you know, uh, aesthetically unpleasing. And, and if so, then I'm totally fine with it. I mean, I, I buy bulk toilet paper sometimes, and it's okay. And... and and I know, like, some people are like, we, are you just, but do you buy one roll at a time? I, I couldn't tell you how many people, like, tweet me and ask me, do you buy one roll of toilet paper at a time? And you should be like, no, I buy it one square at a time. <laughs> I just, I just rep- respond with, toilet paper? <laughs> uh, but I do have to talk Bex out of getting the one ply, though. She's very frugal. Uh-huh. Um, so um, yeah, yeah. I I guess my my point is is like you have to ask yourself some questions. Do I have do I have adequate space for this? And right now it sounds like there's it, it sounds like it's caused a, is a little tension in the household. Okay, yeah, yeah. You probably don't have the space for it then. Uh, and 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 here's here's what I'll say because I, I can tell that you're willing to let go. You're asking these questions. Someone else will be able to use it, and you will be able to reacquire it. Here's the cool thing, though. You'll find out a lot of the stuff you won't ever actually reacquire anyway because it's not toilet paper. It's some stuff you probably aren't going to use, or someone else can use it before you do. When's when's the last time you lit candles, or how often do you light candles? I'm trying to use some of them up before we move, so I had okay. three going earlier today. Chili. <laughs> nice. You, got you like blew them out before you left, right? <laughs> <laughs> I'm, just, I'm like just picturing like scented candles, and you've got like vanilla and cinnamon and apple pie all going on at like one time. Yep. Man, it must smell amazing there. So, so you're about to move? Is that the deal? Yeah. Yep, end of June we're moving. See, so your realtor's going to love you because they're going to save a crap ton on chocolate chip cookies and yep. lemons because they're not going to have to do any of those tricks because you're going to have those candles going the house can exactly. smell fantastic exactly. yeah I think you know for, for me for stuff like that like uh, uh, like we have some candles we don't light them all the time but uh, like Mariah and I we will have candles for I, I would have no candle, candles if it was up to me but Mariah likes having some candles and I'm like okay like I love her I appreciate her. I accept her. So, you know, that is not a hard compromise for me to be like, all right, let's get some candles. Let's not fill our closets with candles, but yeah, let's, let's have some candles for some, you know, times here and there and and definitely for some emergencies. And what we do is just put like a, just a limit on what we can have. I know that's like really simple advice, but Hey, that's what we do. We give simple advice. Mm -hmm. Um, But no, I mean, at the end of the day, uh, I would just, you know, ask myself like, okay, when's the last time, uh, I, I use these candles not forcefully because I was moving, but when's the last time I like really wanted to light a candle? And uh, if the answer was, oh, you know, it was it was three months ago, then I would plan in those you know three month increments, I guess. Mm-hmm. But you know, uh, the beautiful thing about the just in case rule is it really does hold true. Like you can get any, especially in a city of access like this, you can get anything you absolutely need. 
uh, in less than 20 minutes for less than $20. And that might sound like, like someone out there might be thinking like, why would I do, why would I go and spend $20 every single day on that just in case item uh, and spend that time? That's a lot of money over, you know, however many years. The trick is though, we don't use it that often. Like Josh and I, we live in the middle of nowhere, Montana. And we may, um, like between the both of us, we may have had to have used it like once or twice through the six years that we've had this website. I can count on one hand combined how many times Josh and I have had to use that. Uh, at the end of the day, you could hold on to every like everything in your home that you have right now. Anyone out there who has a hoard of just in case items, there are a million, a billion other just in case items you don't have. You'll never have everything just in case. So. Getting over that syndrome is is probably the biggest piece of advice I would I would recommend. Now let's let's Patrick. I think this is an interesting question for you because there's there's a the there's a surface question here. What were we talking about earlier today? A coffee. Uh, uh, yeah. Every story is um, um, there. There were two stories. It's yeah, what the so, story is about. So and every, every every story is two things. What the story is about. And what the story's really about. Yeah. So what the story's about here is the just-in-case items. That's a surface-level thing. That's yeah. the veneer. And then the second thing is the household tension, right? And, yeah. and, and because that's going to happen in any household. And so thankfully, if you're a minimalist, you have to live with someone who's equally as minimalist, right? Oh, definitely. <laughs> Unfortunately, I don't. As a matter of fact, I live with two people who are definitely not minimalists. Uh, my wife and my daughter. Uh, in fact, they're maximalists. Uh, uh, themaximalist.com, I believe, is going to be their website, by the way. They'll be look, here next week. Yep. Look for the documentary on Netflix. Um, so, um, no, seriously, uh, yeah, I, I don't live with minimalists at all. And I live in a very large home, uh, which is actually one of the three homes we own. How, why am I here? <laughs> Who are you? You fraud. I am a complete fraud. Uh, yes, it is true. Um, uh, and, uh, and yeah, it, it's, it's one of those things that, um, that's been a, a work in process uh, for us. Um, I uh, certainly came into the relationship uh, with myself being in a completely different place uh, as far as my my thoughts about this, my thoughts about simplicity and having less and that sort of thing, and that actually came out of, uh, out of poverty. Um, uh, you know, this is where I get to check my privilege at the door. Um, and uh, and she, uh, she never had that. Um, and she comes from a much different place and has a much different kind of philosophy and what uh, and it still works and it works because um, uh, because I uh, what was the uh, acronym uh, the term the, the series you came up for it which I think is fantastic so like three years ago uh, Patrick uh, uh, we had a conversation with, with with Patrick about understanding other people because yeah, th- this comes up all the time. It's it's easier for me to be a, a minimalist, even even with a family, because my partner is is a minimalist. And while Ryan's uh, partner Mariah, he, she probably doesn't identify as a minimalist. She's farther on that side of the spectrum for sure. Um, and, and but 
we also love each other. And so finding that love mm-hmm. has to do with understanding the other person. So the acronym was, was TARA, T-A-R-A. Mm-hmm. And sort of working through those steps. So first is, with the T, is tolerating. tolerating it, right? Um, you know, at first you're going to tolerate this other person, this other person's habits. She, she has to tolerate me equally. My desire to like take all this stuff that she's collecting and throw it out the window as soon as it comes in the house, right? It's so um, much easier to get rid of other people's stuff. It really is. <laughs> Fantastic. Um, and the view from the high horse is great. Let me tell you. <laughs> See a long way. But... Um, but yeah, so you go through this tolerance uh, kind of phase where you just kind of like grit your teeth, oh, geez, oh, more crap. <laughs> but then there's the acceptance. Yeah, so that's the second letter. So right. tolerance is kind of like the weak virtue, right? It's not going to last very long. If no. You're just constantly tolerating each other and your and behaviors and your stuff. Pretty soon there's going to be a fight. Yeah. Um, but then you kind of have to accept, okay, I'm, here, here's the thing. You're not going to change somebody else. You are never, ever going to change somebody else. You cannot change other people. You can change yourself, maybe, maybe, but you can't change other people for sure. Um, and so, therefore, you have to accept them or not. Um, but if not, well, guess what? That's the end of the marriage. Um, <laughs> but assuming that's not what you want, um, do you 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 have to find a way to kind of accept that and just like okay I'm not going to change this person this is just something we're going to have to work through, and that's where you get past that tolerance phase and you accept and the moment that you accept you've you've then committed to finding a solution, and that solution's going to first come with the R respect, right. You're going to have to respect the 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 wants, needs, desires, wishes of that other person. You're going to have to find a way to do it. It may not align with your own, but you're you're going to have to find a way to say, you know what, I I respect their 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 position on this matter, their choice on this matter. And it's got to be a two way street too. And yes, yeah. Keep in mind, everything I'm saying also comes from she has to put up with, you know, Mister, you know, let's throw it all out, you know, um, and uh, and there's not a lot of my stuff to throw out, so let's start with yours, <laughs> um, you know, or or even worse, you know, well look at all this stuff I threw away. Your turn. Oh, that never you're works. Gamifying that way. it, yeah, that doesn't no, work. No, no, no. Um, and so, uh, and so, that's where you get have to. Once you respect where it's coming from, then you have to actually find a way to appreciate that. As crazy as that sounds, the fact is, is that uh, my wife is very. She's frugal, actually. You know, she likes finding things for either cheap or free. Um, and that's also her crutch, right? You know, the fact is, you know, it, it can easily become an excuse. <laughs> it was so cheap. Or it, it was free. It was sitting on a curve. I couldn't not take it, right? And, and that's, you know, that's that kind of uh, slippery slope that uh, comes in. But the desire that's behind it is she really does think through, like, oh, this, this would make 
Patrick and my or Beatrix or our daughter or so happy or wow this would make things so much easier if we had this salad spinner you know and even though I don't cook whatsoever gosh Patrick does all the cooking it would make him happy it would make his life easier look I got you the salad spinner So, <laughs> I, I don't necessarily wash the lettuce, just, just saying, <laughs> if you ever come over for dinner. Um, they, they have the misters in the grocery store. I rely on that. He so, watches it for Patrick me. likes to inoculate his guests when they come over for dinner. <laughs> no, no, it's okay. It's all right. No, one's, no one has gotten ill from my food, um, at least that I've known about, at least not in my house. I've never had to carry them out. So, um, but, I, but I accept where it's coming. It's coming from a good place. It's coming from a place of wanting to be good, uh, to do good, to make others happy, uh, to make herself happy, uh, to make our lives better, to make our lives easier, to, um, uh, to, to make our lives, uh, to, you know, to replace this rug that, uh, that we've had forever. And uh, maybe the cats have peed on it a couple of times. And sure, we've been able to get the steam cleaner out. But here I got this new rug so we don't, uh, you know... It's stuff like that. And so, yeah, you have to find the, find the way to appreciate it after you respect it. And once you do that, and assuming it's going both ways, assuming it's going for you, there's, there's love there. You, 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 I, how, can I, how, how can I besmirch her desire to make me happy or to make our daughter happy? And how can she besmirch mine desire to make myself happy or to make our lives a little bit better and easier with the minimalism, the simplicity that I bring into it. And so, yeah, we find a way to, to, to love each other's differences that way. I don't know how much that helps you, but I Yeah, get you rid of your yarn. It. I think that's what he's saying. <laughs> no, thanks for your question. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks. Howdy. Uh, I'm Elena. I'm from Roseville. Um, I'd like to start with a very short story, very short serendipitous story, which is that the documentary hit Netflix in December, right? Yeah. I canceled Netflix in November. It's great. <laughs> um, but in April, a friend of mine put Netflix on my PlayStation without asking my permission, and so I logged in because I couldn't help myself. And the first thing I watched was the Minimalist documentary. Oh, wow. And I covered my TV with a scarf immediately afterward. I'm, like, I'm done. <laughs> like, I'm I can't. I'm sorry or you're welcome. I don't know. Yeah, both. Both. <laughs> two. I just started again, like, yesterday. So I went a month. And I did everything I could to do the Minimalist lifestyle. And I'm, I'm on my way, and I'm very excited about where I am. Um, I was actually moving, so it was a really good timing, and I kind of did the packing party mentality, but my old apartment is just full of all the crap I don't want, and I don't know how to get rid of it. The things that are still... Wait, is, it still, is the stuff still there? Is that what you're yeah, saying? Yeah, still. I have, I have a month of overlap. Oh, okay. Cool. So that, That's actually convenient. It's mm-hmm. so convenient. Like, okay. the, the new landlord was like, I got to fill this place in May, and I'm like, you know what? It's probably worth it. We'll just do it. Um, but the stuff that I'm really stuck on and the question that I now have is the stuff that I've accumulated that was sort of the this is the person I want to be stuff. The stuff mm. that I, you know, the books that I thought like the ideal me would read and the movies that the ideal me would watch and know about and be able to talk about. And so that stuff is really hard to get rid of because it feels 
like I don't know which part of my journey that fits into. Does it fit into the getting rid of it so I can make room for other stuff, or is this the stuff that I'm making room for? Mm. And I don't necessarily know how to differentiate those things. How old are you? 23. Okay. So I'm, I'm 35, and I can tell you right now, I, I aspire to be my 40-year-old self. That's my, my ideal me, right? Yeah. And I can tell you that my 40-year-old self looks uh, a lot, my, my, my 40-year-old life looks very similar to my 35-year-old life, but there will be some shifts, some pivots. And the cool thing about pivots is you don't notice the change that much. If you pivot five or 10 degrees in one direction, mm-hmm. it's a small change. Because sometimes that's what we, we try to do is we say, oh my God, I don't like this. I'm gonna, the, the pendulum's gonna swing all the way the other way. And that can be helpful sometimes, but, but sometimes it may, it, it may be overwhelming and you just you swing right back. Mm-hmm. And so um, what, uh, and this is a question you have to ask yourself and maybe answer, answer it a little bit right here. What, what is that ideal self? What, what's ideal? When you said, I see my ideal self reading these books or, or watching these films or doing these things. What is your ideal self? Great question. <laughs> yeah. So, so, so I think the best way to answer that question is to get really clear on what your values are. Mm-hmm. Like really, really clear. And, and there are four types of values. I won't beat everyone over the head with them here but um, because we can go into a 20-minute discussion on values. But uh, what I'll tell you is uh, go back and listen to a – we did a values episode. It's mm-hmm. episode 69 of the podcast. And uh, I think there are four types of values. You have your foundational values, the the, the, the the base that everything else is built on. Then you have your core values. These are the things that are really important to you. They shape your beliefs and, and um, they often determine what direction you're going to go in. Then we have your minor values, things you like and, and you want and you get value from, but they aren't absolutely essential. And then we have the most dangerous category, the imaginary values. And these are the things we usually spend our days on. Yeah, scro- scrolling incessantly through Facebook or, or incessantly checking email 40, 50, 150 times a day and um, you're constantly going through our, our smartphones, whatever it may be, these things can be valuable. They can usually be minor values, but when we take it to a, an extreme, they start wasting our time and they're a net negative. Mm-hmm. And so we have to get really clear on what our values are before we can determine what kind of person we want to be. And I bet you once you figure out what those values are, you'll very quickly be able to say, this thing doesn't serve my values, this thing doesn't, this thing doesn't. By the way, if you're, how long has it been since you've been out of that other apartment? You, you're not, you haven't been living there all month? Uh, yeah, so 20 days. Okay, nice. And, and are there things over there that you miss right now? A couple, like okay. my bath mat. Like I'm pretty sure I'm going to die every time I get out of the shower. Okay. <laughs> And the garbage can, because going to the kitchen to throw away, like, my makeup wipes is getting a little old. But besides that, yeah, I could pretty much get rid of that stuff. Now it's just doing it in an ecologically friendly way. Interesting. So, so here, here, here are a couple quick, quick tips for you. Go get your bath mat and your trash can. Yeah, I'm on it. Uh, that, that's the first thing, right? And, and everything else is pretty much a just-in-case item, it sounds mm-hmm. like. Maybe one or two other things. But I would identify those things before you go back there, right? Because you're going to go there, and you're going to f- identify 413 things at first glance. You want everything. I need all of those things. Mm-hmm. And, and so the, the next thing I'm going to recommend to you is um, have a yard sale room 
and you don't even have to do an actual yard sale. You can invite a bunch of friends over. Our friend Colin did this. I did this today. Oh, nice. Some of it hurt okay. so much, and not much went, but the few things that did, I'm like, oh, it's a really good season of Rhoda. Did, did you? <laughs> <laughs> so here, here's, here's where you went wrong, okay? Uh, oh, my you, gosh. You're supposed to have the yard sale room and then send the people in there and they come out with the things and they don't show you yeah. what they took. I didn't say yeah. anything, but it hurt. And, and so if people leave with the things that you don't know what they left with, you just start forgetting about the things that you had in there. Remember when Ryan had 80% of his stuff still in boxes and he couldn't remember what was most of the boxes? Mm-hmm. It's because we work our asses off to buy a bunch of stuff that isn't doing its job. It's not making us happy. And so if you, out of sight, out of mind is the old sort of apothem, that, that is, that, that's your best bet. And, and also identify some things you can sell, especially if you have any debt, mm-hmm. and, and figure out if you can sell some, you know, set a threshold. It could be 20 bucks, it could be 250 bucks, whatever it may be, so you can pay off some debt. Everything else, let it go. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the books really stand out to me. It's you said you bought a bunch of books to read mm-hmm. to uh, fit this lifestyle that you thought you would have one day, and the only thing I could think of is like, if I bought like a garage full of tools, it would not make me a mechanic. No. And at the end of the day, I don't need all those tools to be a mechanic either. However, um, maybe that is a hobby I wanted to pick up, but I certainly wouldn't just go out and buy a bunch of tools and then think like, well, I got all these, if I have the tools, then eventually that's going to force me to go out there and work on cars. Um, I would say the books are obviously stressing you out. There are people out there and there are mechanics out there who would say, I do have a bunch of tools and they add a bunch of value to my life. And I'd say, great. But for me, they wouldn't. Same thing with you for books. If I had a library full of books or just, you know, a bookshelf of books that I didn't read, Mm -hmm. they wouldn't, they would have a bunch of, uh, what Josh said earlier, like imaginary value. Now, if you said to me, I've got a library of books and I love to turn the pages and I love lending them out to friends and they come back and we talk about the books and I love how the books smell and I spend a lot of time in that room, then I would say keep your books. But they're obviously causing a lot of stress and letting them go is definitely going to make you feel better in your situation. Um, the good news too, even with that amazing season of Rhoda. Oh. So good. You. It may be the only season. I'm not sure how long. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I was. See, I can get away with saying this because I'm I'm turning 50 this year. Uh, you weren't even born when Rhoda was on. <laughs> no, no, no. Mary Tyler Moore is still in the collection. But the beautiful, the beautiful <laughs> thing Rhoda is, is like that season of Rhoda, and even the books that you get rid of. I promise you, if you got if you went home and got rid of all that stuff tonight, like you would still have access to those things. Yeah. I mean, libraries do a great job of well, having books, but also... DVDs. Also DVDs. Especially and, DVDs of Rhoda. Yeah. Modern days. Well, you can one. also request, like, if they don't have a s- certain season of something, like, I know in Missoula, you can request mm-hmm. the season. Yeah. They will find it. Yep. They will bring it to the library, and yep. they'll put it on their shelves. Yep. So it's very easy to have access to those My favorite things. way to rent DVDs. Yeah. Rent DVDs, because mm-hmm. it's absolutely free. Rhoda's on Hulu. Yes. Rhoda's on Hulu. There you go. <laughs> And you could subscribe now for ten dollars a month. No, oh, I already canceled Netflix. We're done <laughs> but with this. Uh, I, I just I want to just say one thing, and and that is, while you know certainly thinking about future you is important, and 
maybe you know kind of what you want to do, where you want to go, who you want to be. If you're not uh, if you're not working on first opening up who you are, mm. open up who you are now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because what you will find is that when you open up who you are, the universe will 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 enter in and allow you to be who you aspire to be. That's Great. beautiful. Thank you guys so much. Thank you. Thank you. All right, well, before, before we move on here, for anyone who's listening to this at home, if you have a comment or tip for anyone who asked us a question so far today or anyone who's getting ready to ask us a question as well, you can leave us a voicemail, 406-219-7839, or you can send a voice memo from your phone over to podcast at theminimalist.com. We will air our favorite comments and tips on a future episode. Ryan, do you know what time it is? Um, I think it is hashtag ask the minimalist lightning round 30. (laughs) (laughs) Sweet. We're going to move on to our lightning round. We usually answer questions from Twitter and Instagram and Facebook. We're at the minimalists on, on all of those platforms. But since you're here tonight, uh, we will answer your questions. Now you can ask a regular question. What we usually try to do is we spend a week crafting a really short pithy answer that's less than 140 characters that you can share on social media but since we don't have seven days we have about seven seconds to respond to you um, we've turned it into a battle and and I don't think Patrick even knew this we're roping him into this battle tonight (laughs) and um, so what we'll do is we'll uh, we'll answer your question with something that we think is tweetable and and um, we might we might like yeah uh, talk a little bit to to get that tweetable answer, but we'll get there eventually. <laughs> Indeed, and you get to vote on who wins. So you ought to make noise for whoever's whoever sounds. You know, if someone's answer is really profound to you, then uh, yeah, make some noise for it. How's it going, man? What's your name? Uh, Sean Casper from Hot Springs, South Dakota. Thanks for coming, man. Thanks. Are we yeah. um, blacklisted from comments or? What's that? Oh, no, Are we blacklisted from comments? On no, have, make, have at it, brother. Okay, so I read three of your books, right? Um, I think the, the first one, Minimalism. The second one was All That Remains. And the third one's The Essentials. And yeah. as I was reading that third book, I thought about you, Josh, when you had commented. And actually tonight, too, when you're, you share this story about your mother. And you said you saw those boxes, and they're one, two, three, four. And they're taped up, and they're, they're really taped up. Um, you know, they haven't been opened is what you kind of imply. And you think to yourself, what was she holding on to, right? That I'm not in those boxes. The memories are within us. And I was reading that last book, Essentials, and I, I kind of came across that and had an epiphany that maybe the, the memories weren't for her, right? Maybe the memories were for you. Mm. And then when um, Nick or... Patrick, call me whatever you want. Yeah, I I like Josh. (laughs) Um, This guy's, I mean, I like you both, but I I like your writing style. He definitely has better hair. There's no doubt about it. Don't worry, I like you, right? Yeah. You know what? I'm just going to drop mic, walk away. No. But you know what? When I I was going through that, though, um, you know, I just, I started thinking about purpose and meaning. You talked about purpose and meaning earlier. And without that, those four boxes, so to say, we may not be here tonight, mm. right? So those four boxes had a, a really large impact in not only your life, but in everybody's life that's here tonight. Sure. So, I mean, I just think that's incredible. And my question for you all tonight is Victor Frankel. 
mm-hmm. with Man's Search for Meaning. Mm-hmm. Yep. And I was wondering if any of you had the opportunity to read that book, and if so, uh, is, have you noticed a direct correlation between Man's Search for Meaning and also some of the fundamentals behind minimalism? Yes. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely. And, 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 I mean, I think, I think his story is, is inspirational, and it's the epitome of struggle. And, I mean, we all sort of have inciting incidents, right? And, and mine was, you know, the four boxes and, and my mom died and also my marriage ending. And, and those two events happening back to back was sort of like a collision for me, but I certainly didn't suffer anything like, like Victor Frankl. It was, it was bad for me. Um, and, and so if, if there is any, any correlation between them is, um, you know, is that we all experience suffering in some way. The question that so this is my tweetable answer. Um, let me, let me try, I'm trying to boil it down here. Um, uh, we all we all experience car crashes in life. The question is isn't about the crash; it's about what we do after the crash. There's one person. Uh, it's funny, my mom, she, uh, dude, I, when I say I had a shitty childhood, like, that doesn't even, because I have respect for my mother, and I love her, I don't want to go into all the, like, nitty-gritty stuff, but multiple times, like, she has apologized to me uh, for the things that I grew up with, and I used to really yearn for that apology, but after kind of starting this whole journey and having these stories, I'm like, mom. I'm like, you know what I realized? If it wasn't for all your shitty decisions, like I wouldn't have, <laughs> I wouldn't have this perspective on life. Um, you know, if I could go back and change things, oh, man, I, I mean, there are certainly some things I would like to change, but you know, I can only accept what has happened and it has made me the person I am today. There's no doubt about that. I guess uh, what my tweetable answer would be trying to boil this down um for us to make a major change in our lives sometimes we have to have a major catastrophe happen but we shouldn't have to wait for that moment So, wow, okay. Um, uh, I'm sorry, I'm still exploring the, 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 the Victor Frankl um, connection. Uh, uh, you know, one of the things that, um, you know, we are reminded of uh, on a daily basis today is man's capacity to be inhumane to other men, uh, men being humanity-inclusive. Um, and so, you know, I don't know, making, making that, that leap seems almost, um, uh, I don't know, dismissive. Um, so I won't, but here's what I will say. The past informs us to how we should move forward in the future 
but not how we should be open and living today, right? Every day is, is uh, you know, the, the past has brought us to this moment, right? The, and everything that's happened in the past has brought us to this moment. And uh, yet we still in this moment have the chance to choose another path, to choose another direction. Every single moment that passes, we can make that choice. We can decide, okay, I'm not happy or I'm not satisfied or I, or I am happy. I am satisfied. I want more of this or I want less of that. Every single moment we have that opportunity to make that choice. Um, and there's no guarantee, no guarantee that we'll get another moment, right? Um, and so as a small b Buddhist, um, I, I, I try not to focus on, you know, kind of what that future is, nor do I necessarily need to focus on the past in as much as it informs or helps me make that choice on where to move forward. So if I were to boil that down into a tweet. You had like three awesome lines in there. Um, Every moment is a fresh opportunity to make a new start. Yeah. Woo. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for your question, brother. Appreciate it. Hey, thank you all. You inspire me. That's why I sat there and I had time to reflect. And I mean, really, you, you've added meaning to my life. So thank you. Thanks so much for the thank question, you. man. How's it going? Good. Uh, I'm Quinn. I'm from Fairbanks, Alaska. Welcome. Uh, Did you I come moved, here I'm, from Fairbanks? I'm from Fairbanks, Alaska. So wow. I moved to Duluth, Minnesota now is where I live. Oh, okay. All right. I moved there. I convinced my dad after I graduated high school and I was 18 that I wasn't going to go to college, that I wanted to pursue the Olympic dream to be a curler. And, oh, nice. And me and my, one of my friends who I'm here with tonight got the email two weeks ago that we are in the Olympic trials in November. Yes. Yeah. Nice. Yes. Wait, question for you. Are you, are you, are you going to curl at uh, the St. Paul Club while you're here? Uh, well, yeah, we were down here. We had a practice weekend, so I thought it was convenient oh, that I could see you guys. Awesome, man. <laughs> so along that whole journey of the past four years moving here is before that, we have went all kinds of amazing places like Denmark and China and Russia and Eveleth, Minnesota. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and so along the way, I'm not necessarily one to hop to the first uh, gift shop and, like my teammate did in Russia, buy a T-shirt of Putin riding a grizzly bear. <laughs> <laughs> I got to be honest, I'd consider getting that I gotta one. I was going to say, like... I got to see that T-shirt, <laughs> But along the way, we have acquired a decent amount of stuff. When you're at each tournament, they give you some memorabilia, whether it's your athlete pass or, you know, on the occasional time. We do actually win something. You get a medal or some sort of award or plaque. Um, I am someone who moves around and travels a lot. I can't bring this whole entourage of pins and pictures and medals and stuff with me. Um, so my question is, drawing the line from, you know, the one, you know, the world championship medals all the way down to just the, you know, the athlete lanyard that you got from one of these events. Where, where, where would you guys recommend drawing a line in, in that? Well, when you win a gold medal, don't throw that away. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but you can sell that shit. Yeah, man. <laughs> 
<laughs> Joshua Curlers. I'd make like six bucks off of it. I might be able to take it to the subway or something. It's not real gold? Oh, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> we got a silver last year. That's all, That's all we got. Nice. Nice. So, so I mean, I can't tell you what I'd recommend for you. I can tell you what I would do personally and what I have done personally. So, um, I had a lot of trophies. Uh, and I mean that figuratively. Um, well, actually, literally, too. Remember, we did we had President's Club. So, so I... In the corporate the world, I, I, I managed 150 retail stores, which I know is really ironic with the whole minimalism thing. Um, but I... Um, several years, uh, I was like the top performer in the company and went on to this president's club trip. And on the trip, they give you this fancy dinner with mediocre food. And, and they hand you this large glass trophy. It's like a corporate version of like a kid's softball trophy or something. And, um, it looks like a weapon. Uh, and, and, like you put it on your mantle or you put it like, you know, above the fireplace. And I had several of them and I guess theoretically they look nice, but they didn't really. And, and, um, I, I can tell you when I walked away from that, I, I also walked away from, from, from those because I realized that the trophy here's, so here's my short answer. Um, the, the winner is not determined by the trophy. There we go. Um, souvenirs is, is what stood out to me. Like, uh, I've, I've been on some really cool trips over the last like three years. Uh, and I will tell you, like the first time I left North America, um, well, when we, in 2014, we were lucky enough to go to like the UK and Ireland on our tour and stuff in Australia did you go to the Cliffs of Mar when you were in Ireland? Yeah, it's sweet. I know it's unbelievable, unbelievable. <laughs> it, it, yeah, unbelievable. It was even like a crappy day, and it was still unbelievable. We had blue sky. I'm sorry. Man. Yeah, yeah. I'm a little <laughs> jealous. I'll have to go back. Um, but yeah, I wanted to get like souvenirs. I had that impulse, I should say. I didn't really want to, but I had that impulse to like get souvenirs. Of, like the first city we did was London, and I'm like, oh man, I got to get like some little. British flag type souvenir or something. And I was quickly able to like talk myself out of it because at the end of the day, it was documented plenty between Facebook and um, Instagram. Uh, so like I, and, and plus, you know, I was taking pictures on my phone. I put those into my computer. They go up into the cloud. So like I had plenty of things that could trigger the memories uh, when I was there in the UK. Um, and I just quickly talked myself out of souvenirs because if I bought a bunch of souvenirs and brought them home, it, they would they would just sit there. And and you know what? If if I had maybe one souvenir, someone might say, "Oh, where did that cool thing come from?" But when you have a house full of souvenirs, people don't ask you about that. Like, sit here and tell me about the thirty souvenirs that you have. Tell me each story about that. Um, so I mean, to me, it wasn't. It, it was very easy for me to kind of put aside that feeling. The trophies. Um, the gold medals, like the things that you're, you're, I'm sure going to win as the years go on, I guess I would say, uh, this is kind of in the same vein of what you were saying. My short answer would be, even if you win a gold medal, 
It doesn't matter how many you hold on to. You're going to have to work your ass off to get another one next year. I like that. (laughs) Uh, So uh, I'm going to start off. I'm actually bouncing off what he just said. Um, A a book recommendation for you. Uh, Is a book... uh, Corey, write this down. Yeah. Uh, a book called Relentless. Uh, I, I, I'm forgetting the author's name. Uh, I, Tim something. Uh, in any case, uh, he was the personal coach to uh, Jordan, to Tiger Woods, to Barkley, to LeBron. I mean, to like any of the big names you can think of, especially in basketball. He was not their team coach. He was their personal coach. Not personal trainer, but personal coach. He did work on the training aspects, too, and worked with the team of trainings, but that's not really what he was about. He, he had a way of dealing with performers on that level, on, on the, that, that level of just pure drive, these guys that are literally never not in the zone. Like, they, they don't, like nothing in their life is ever in outside of the zone. They are always on, right? He tells this great story. Um, And it goes like this. So, and I actually went back and I watched. It's true. Uh, He tells a story about Jordan and and when he won his first championships with the Bulls. And, you know, the, the crowd's down on the court and the team's lifting him up in the air and everything else. And everyone's celebrating. If you look at his hands, how many fingers is he holding up? He just won his first world championship literally seconds before he's holding up two fingers. Second world championship? He's already over it. No big deal. Number three? Watch his fingers. He's done. He achieved that goal. He's already on to the next. That's what separates guys like him from guys like me. That's great. How many fingers are you going to hold up? When you win that gold medal, how many fingers are you going to hold up? That's beautiful. I like that. Thank you very much. Yeah, I just want to. I just want to say thank you to you guys because when we are traveling on the road and all that stuff like that, it is after simplifying my life, it has let me focus on the times that I am at home to spend with my family and friends since I am on the road all the time. So I just like to thank you guys for that. Thanks, oh, brother. Appreciate it, man. Thank you for coming out, man. All right, we got time for one more lightning round question. I'm going to apologize to the rest of the people online just because we we have to move on after this, but uh, we'll do our best to answer this last question here. Howdy. I'm Megan, and I'm from Minneapolis. I'm wondering, with your sales background, do you think it is possible for someone, hint, it's me, to, <laughs> to live a minimalistic lifestyle, but make a living off of selling people things that they don't need? <laughs> Even if you, can you appreciate their need for those things, or? Well, well hold on, hold on, you, you're contradicting yourself. You just said selling them things they don't need, but then you appreciate their need but for those But he was talking things. about how you can appreciate people's lifestyle and how they they live sure. that way but as somebody who 
I sell clothes. Yeah. My closet has about. We're all wearing 30- clothes in here. <laughs> yeah. My closet you has about thirty audience. pieces of clothing. But when I sell somebody fifteen pieces of clothing, in the back of my mind, I'm like, they don't really need that. Sure. But I love what I do. Right. So, so I mean, let's talk about clothes really, really quickly, right? So, so um, we throw out eighty-eight. On average, the average person here throws out eighty-eight pounds of of clothes a year. Ninety um, percent of the people in this room have. Uh, purchased a piece, piece of clothes within the last 30 days, um, nearly 100% within the last year. Um, and it's the average person 30 years ago owned nine outfits. The average person today owns more than 30. And, and so it's okay that people don't need more clothes, right? Um, the, the question isn't always about need. Remember a second ago I talked about minor values? Our, our minor values um, are things that add value to our lives. Ryan and I and Patrick aren't up here saying you should perpetually deprive yourself of stuff. Uh, that's not what we're talking about at all. We encourage you to bring things into your life that you, A, you might need, or, or B, maybe it just adds value to your life. It is a want or a like, and that is okay as long as you're doing so deliberately, and you can afford it. Now, when I say afford it, I don't just mean the price tag. The cost of a thing goes way beyond the price tag. The pr- and we get so caught up of a money in, in, in this culture, which we, we should think about that when it comes to affording something, but then we discount the real price of the thing. It goes way beyond the price tag. It, it goes, you know, the cost of Shopping for the thing. That's the time that it takes to go acquire the thing, right? And parking and, and, and going to the store and then, you know, returning or exchanging the thing and, and then uh, changing the thing's batteries, changing the thing's oil, putting gas in the thing, uh, buying the extended warranty for the thing, the space the thing takes up, right? And, and, and then there are so many additional costs beyond that. The mental clutter that the things cause, you know, when they, when they pile up in our houses or our storage lockers. Oh, storage lockers, the cost of storing the thing off-site because we no longer have room for it. There are all these other costs that we don't think about. Needing a bigger home with bigger closets to store more clothes that we may not wear. And, and so the cost of a thing goes way beyond the thing. That's my short answer, by the way. Um, and it even goes farther for you because the fact that you're asking this question means there's an additional cost for you, right? There, there's the, uh, what, the story, what the story is about and then what the story is really about. And what the story is really about here is uh, you grappling right now with um, with not allowing or allowing yourself, it's up for you. You're, you're, at, you're at this sort of fork in the road right now, and, and you're trying to figure out where does it, where does it bifurcate? Um, and and here, here's what I can tell you. If your actions don't align with your values, you'll continue to experience a, a chasm of discontent. Oh, that's a better short answer. Let's use that one. That is a much better short answer. Yeah. Yeah, I would, uh, like my really, the short answer I thought of right away was 
it's not for you to decide how much is too much for someone else. So I would, I would say that first off, but as I was thinking that, I'm like, I don't want to give you an excuse either, right? But at the end of the day, uh, the other short answer I was thinking of, well, actually, it's very much in, in line with what Josh was saying. Um, if, you want, if you want to live a discontented life, live outside your values and beliefs, but you're certainly not going to be happy. All right. So I just want to say, since this was initially described as like a kind of rap battle sort of thing, <laughs> as the uh, person of color on the stage, I won before we even walked up there. I'm just saying. True story. Yeah. All right. So um, <clears throat> uh, the, 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 the truth of the matter is, is that you don't know the story of the person that you're selling those, that thing to, that that blouse or that sweater or those jeans or what have you you know um, the person who comes in and buys the buys the 15 things you may think that because you know they're, they're dressed nice and they're playing with their with their gold card and everything else that they've got it all together and that they're just buying stuff for the sake of buying stuff but you don't know that um, and and we really we don't know other people's stories right um, uh, and and so the only thing that we can really do is do what's right for us and to know that if we're doing what's right for us and it's making us happy, then that, you know, uh, I, I believe in karma, you know, and, and not in this kind of necessarily like uh, whirly gig, uh, hootie tootie uh, version of it, but in this very real version that if you are happy, those around you will be happy and those around them will be happy. And eventually, hopefully, that makes the world a better place, right? If you just do your part to make it just a little bit better, and if you, we all do just a little bit to make it just a little bit better, guess what? If everyone's doing that, suddenly it gets a little bit better. Um, and so I guess if I were to come up with a short answer, it would be this. Tell your own story, and by doing so, you allow others to live theirs better. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, Patrick Roan. Yeah. Give him a round of applause. Wait, you don't go anywhere yet, though. We got one more surprise. We, um... Actually, I want to talk to you about one thing real quick before we move on to the added value segment of, of the show. So when we showed up to, to film Patrick's interview for our documentary, Minimalism, it was, it was the day after Christmas. The day after Christmas. And all through the house. <laughs> Literally all through the house. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Uh, so uh, yeah, this, this was just... Uh, <laughs> hey Patrick, can we show up and talk to you about getting rid of stuff? Yeah. So, so like I said, I I, I live with Maximalists, um, and so yeah, the, it was the day after Christmas, and we are the ones that host Christmas in our family, and you know, we do a big Norwegian uh, Christmas Eve celebration. Um, and so we have all the present opening on on uh, Christmas Eve uh, night. 
Um, and uh, you're, you're actually looking at America's uh, probably only uh, African-American lefsa maker. <laughs> so there's a bonus. Uh, I make some, I make some lefsa now. I'm just saying. So, um, <clears throat> uh, and uh, then uh, the next morning, uh, you know, we save the, a lot of our presents and we, we, uh, open them up Christmas morning just for Beatrix and, and us, my wife and, and me. And so we have this mountain of stuff, right? We have all the dishes still left over from Christmas Eve dinner. We've got, you know, uh, all of our, you know, it's our nice china and our nice silver and all that stuff because, yes, we have nice china, nice silver, and all of that stuff. Ah. Uh, so much stuff, so much stuff, and so these guys are like, "Yeah, we're coming to town." How does the twenty-six sound? Uh, great, I guess. But you guys, you, you're aware. I don't live uh, with minimalists, and therefore, I, I this is not like you know a minimalist lifestyle house. You, you, you know, oh, you know, you mind if we take some candy shots? Or no, you cannot take candy shots around my house. No, no. Well, what, what, just your closet. No. Uh, and uh, so yeah, so they came. They they set up. Poor Ryan dealing with my uh, with my barky dog with the. Two long nails on a hardwood floor, click clacking around. Poor, poor Matt and his uh, sound. Matt, the director, and uh, it, was, it was just this comical situation. And so my my wife and daughter were like, you know, well, you know, we, we just stay after Christmas. We'll go and we'll ex- to return and exchange some stuff and whatnot. About how long you think it'll take? Oh, about an hour. Oh, you know. I talk. I can talk now. I can seriously talk. In case I think I have five noticed. and a half hours of footage of us talking. Yeah, that seriously. Day. I mean, I'm in the film for like three and a half minutes. There is at least three and a half hours yeah. of footage. I'm no, no lie. No joke. Get the, uh, get the bonus material. Seriously. Uh, everything is in such better context. Um, so here we are, two hours into this thing. Here I am talking about you know simplicity and minimalism and how to live an intentional life and everything else and how to live with just enough and how to live with just enough <laughs> while they're surrounded with presents and dishes and turkey and all sorts of other stuff and my wife and daughter come bounding through the door expecting us to be done with armfuls of bags of stuff. Because here's the deal, like, like, you know, not only do you do the returns and exchanges on the 26th, but that's when you also go and you buy the, all the wrapping and stuff for next year. Because like I said, my wife is super frugal. And so she's like, I can get it for 75% off. <laughs> and so she's like, you know, these rolls are wrapping paper. I think they had about... Uh, ten bags each as they come bounding through the door, and I'm just like, "Oh, geez, this is a film about minimalism." And here, oh my gosh, they're gonna think I'm a total fraud. And oh man, so yeah, that was that was my uh, that that was my story. Yeah, yeah but I, I, here's the thing: like, I totally knew better because I, I also, I mean, I've had many conversations with Patrick before, and I also realized that minimalism isn't. You know, because we we went out and interviewed all these different people from different walks of life, and the people Ryan talked about, whether it was Colin who was traveling the world and everything he owns fits in his back like a turtle, mm-hmm. or, or 
Leo and his six kids. Six kids. That sure as hell ain't minimalist. No. And and so. Um, well, he's maybe, obviously like minimalist when it comes to condoms. <laughs> All right. Well, it's time to move on to our added value segment. <laughs> Uh, That's what Ryan and I talk about what's been adding value to our lives recently. And uh, since we are here in Minneapolis, and my partner, uh, Rebecca, she is is a local gal here from Minneapolis. Yeah. And her whole family is here tonight. Or at least uh, uh, a large chunk of her family. And so uh, we get a chance to come out here. Uh, semi-frequently, and I get the opportunity to go to a few of my favorite spots, especially the coffee here is just outstanding. Ryan and I, we don't really go on tour. We go on coffee tour, and yeah. we do these... Do the, does, do you do this in order to buy more coffee? Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I figured that out. So, so thank you for your contributions. Um, but one of my favorite coffee roasters in the entire country is a place called Dogwood. I haven't had a chance to go there this trip, but I will be there tomorrow before we leave. Uh, so yeah, Dogwood Coffee, and then we went out to, first time I've ever been there, but it was awesome. Um, we had Patrick, Patrick out there, and Joel, and, and a few other people, and um, it's called Spy House. Yeah, and the coffee, I mean, honestly, so we've been on the road for a few months now, and it's the best cup of coffee I have had this tour so far. Nice. Um, I just had dinner at Dilla's Ethiopian Place, I don't know if... <laughs> Someone knows what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If you haven't had Ethiopian food, it is not only is it amazing food, but it's an awesome experience because you don't use utensils. It's like you get bread. Uh, it's injera. It's gluten free. It's tefas. Doesn't have any gluten in it. Um, and then you just like rip the bread off and you kind of grab the food with the bread, and it's a really amazing experience. It's really awesome food. Um, but then earlier today, I met uh, my friend Joel. Uh, he's got a website called uh, simplerev.com. And so Josh and I, we, we came up with uh, minimalist.org um, back in uh, like 2014 when we were on tour and we needed an answer to the question of, hey, there's some really cool people at this event. How, how do I get a hold of people that are open-minded or that are cool like this? And before minimalist.org, we would just say, uh, Facebook? <laughs> okay, Cupid? Like, <laughs> we didn't really have a good answer. So in, 2000, yeah. <laughs> so in 2014, we uh, just basically facilitated some meetup groups. And they meet once a month. Simple Rev is the same um, kind of concept. And what I'll say is he, he has a, a meetup group here that is amazing. Um, so you could, if you want to like do something more than once a month, uh, you can go to the minimalist.org event or you go to the simple rev event. But what's cool about either of those groups is that you are going to find open-minded people and and they, they may not have, uh, you know, the same exact opinions, uh, that you have, but you'll at least be able to find people who you can talk about things with and get some good feedback from. So I would definitely recommend, uh, Joel's website, um, simplerev.com. And then we, we, I met him at a place called Birchwood Cafe. That place is really good too. So those are, <laughs> yes. Those are, uh, those are my recommendations. 
Patrick, you got anything that's been adding value to your life recently? Wow. Um, I only get to pick, pick one thing because uh, this is a minimalist thing, or can I do... List them, man. Uh, 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 so, um, uh, my, my daughter actually has been involved with a, uh, a, a school uh, here in the, uh, in the Twin Cities in St. Paul uh, called Circus Juventus. Uh, she's uh, been doing circus uh, since she was two. She is nine now. And I am constantly floored, absolutely floored by the people I run into in the Twin Cities that have never heard of it. And when I tell you about it here in a second, if you've never heard of it, you will be floored that you've never heard of it. Uh, circus Juventus is the largest youth performing circus art school in North America, uh, and at times, depending upon the season, the world. Uh, they train uh, over a thousand kids between the ages of two and 18 uh, in the traditional European style circus arts. If you are familiar with Cirque du Soleil, think Cirque du Soleil, but with amateur kids. But wait, Performing at that same level with the same level of production, the same level of costuming, the same level of of uh, of uh, set uh, and 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 equip like all of that stuff, you are watching um, Cirque du Soleil basically done by kids, and it's the most absolutely amazing thing in the world. Uh, they just wrapped up their their spring show run, which is kind of more of a uh, a recital sort of thing. It's still a three hour show, and it's still high production, but um, there's no narrative there. Um, uh, they they've got uh, uh, upcoming uh, performance in Washington D.C. They were invited by the Smithsonian uh, to be the headlining act for the Smithsonian uh, Folklife Festival over uh, over the. Uh, Fourth of July uh, weekend in a couple of weeks uh, on one week on either side, um, so they're doing that in Washington D.C. the thirtieth, you know, June thirtieth through uh, the ninth, or maybe it's the 29th through the ninth. I forget, but in any case, uh, their summer show run comes up in August. Um, there's always kind of a different narrative theme to it. It is uh, uh, only their most advanced top performers, uh, and this year's theme is called Nord Saga. Um, basically, uh, uh, Norse myths. Um, and it is fantastic. Um, it is some of the best entertainment you can get uh, for 25 bucks a ticket. And um, uh, you, you're going to get everything that you'd pay 150 to 300 bucks uh, at Cirque du Soleil. You'll get it in a longer show uh, with kids uh, supporting our local youth, uh, and I, I highly recommend looking into it. Go online, circusjuventus.org, and look up uh, what they're doing. You'll see me if you uh, if you go. Uh, I'll be out running around on the floor because I am uh, uh, one of the head, one of the lead volunteer riggers, um, and so I I do. Uh, you'll see me with trapezes running around in the dark. <laughs> nice. Well, one other surprise that's adding value recently, um, Sky Steele has been on this little short wave of the tour. This is the last night he's spending with us. He opened up tonight, and uh, did you all enjoy that opening performance from him? Yeah. 
Now, he has a new single out. Remember back in the days, you'd go to a record store and you'd buy like a cassette single? We used to call them singles. And you like it was a whole like sensory experience. You would open, you know, you'd go to the store, you buy it, and you'd leave, and you'd open it up, and then you'd take the cassette out, and you'd read the liner notes and the dedications and who it was written by as you listened to the song, and it was just this totally different experience than now, where you just go to Spotify and hit play all or whatever, and <laughs> and. Um, and so you can't really do that anymore because, you know, who the hell has a cassette player, right? Um, I, that's a joke because half the people in this room have a cassette player. <laughs> <laughs> They're the ones that were dragged here. <laughs> no, um, but uh, I find that, that that same sort of multi-sensory experience has been lost with music. And I know Sky felt that as well. So he found a way to bring back the multi-sensory experience with his new single, but it's different from anything you've ever experienced with, with music. There's a, uh, a company out of Chicago called Vosges, and they make art, artisan chocolates, and they paired a chocolate with his new single. <laughs> and so I'm going to ask Scott to come out here and play that single while Ryan, Patrick, and I eat chocolate in front of you. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, Sky Steele. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> Oh, thank you. All right. Can I eat it right now? Wait, you guys have to share? Yeah. Wait, wait. Get to Patrick. So the song is called At the Waterfall, and it's a love song for the earth. So Katrina, who's the chocolatier of Vosges, uh, used some flavors that she thought would help the listener connect more deeply to the earth. And let's see how, let's see how it works. Let's see if it works. Cheers, Ryan. In the side of the mountain, I see your face. Swimming in the river, I feel your embrace. And at the waterfall, the song you sing comes to me, comes to me like a dream. And at the waterfall, the song you sing comes to me comes to me like a dream fuck that's good <laughs> actually I'm pre-diabetic so you can uh, you can have another one I shouldn't be eating this there you go. Oh. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, Scott Steele. And he's, um, he'll be over here with us afterward selling you some chocolates and his new song if you're, if you're interested in it. Uh, please support him because I, I'll tell you, um, 100% of the proceeds from everything uh, that... The, all the money that goes to Sky goes to one of his his favorite charities. It's the Sky Steel Gas Fund to get back to Brooklyn. 
<laughs> so you can help them out with that. Also, Patrick will be over there with us afterward as well. And before before we wrap it up, I just want to go to right here, right now, talk about what's going on in the lives of the minimalists. So Ryan and I are in the middle of uh, building a new podcast studio and film studio. And we refuse to clutter our podcast and our website with advertisements just because it doesn't align with our values personally. And so we're looking for some help. If you want to contribute on a per-episode basis to our podcast, you can, you can just become a, a Patreon patron over at theminimalists.com slash support, or you can just go to theminimalists.com, click on the donate button at the top, and uh, we're just looking for a buck or two an episode. That's going to give us enough money to build a podcast studio and a film studio so we can do a video version of the podcast, but also create a lot more meaningful video creations over the years. We're trying to do more video essays, mini documentaries, interview series, live streams, all kinds of stuff. So any of the money you donate, none of that goes to me or Ryan, uh, just to be clear on that. It's either to build the studio or uh, to go, it goes to Podcast Sean, because we're trying to, uh, to pay him a full-time living wage for being our producer. He's also our tour manager. He's a man with many hats. Ladies and gentlemen, Podcast Sean. So if you want to support us, that, that is one way. If you can't afford to support us monetarily, totally understand and, and no worries. Uh, you can still support us in other ways. This month, which is May 2017, uh, for every Apple podcast review we get, Ryan and I are donating 10 bucks to charity, and it's a very specific charity this month. It's called the Against Malaria Foundation. So uh, we have uh, about 500 people here tonight. And if each of you went on and left a review, we'd, we'd save at least one person's life tonight. And, and the, the way that works is, well, actually, did you know that, that out of everyone who's ever lived on planet Earth, half of those people have died from malaria? Half the people who have ever lived have died from malaria. And we're trying to at least help out with that a little bit. And so um, the Against Malaria Foundation estimates it takes about $3,500 to save one life, to buy enough uh, mosquito nets, uh, insecticide-treated mosquito nets, over the course of a lifetime uh, to save one life. So 350, or 350 reviews means 3500 bucks means one life saved. So people listening at home who want to, want to contribute as well, just take 30 seconds, 60 seconds, leave a review. If you love us and you want to leave us five stars, we, we like that. If you hate us, someone dragged you here and you're like, these guys are stupid. And you leave us a one-star review, that's okay too. We'll still give 10 bucks in your name either way. And so we're, we're grateful for the opportunity to contribute. That gets our message out in front of more ears and gets more people listening to, to the podcast, but it also allows us to do something cool in, in the meantime. Uh, speaking of, for the people who are listening to this at home, we are in the middle of a tour right now. It's 40 cities. We just announced the, the second leg of the tour. It's called the Less Is Now Tour. And uh, we're coming to a city near you, either your city or a city within a few hours drive if you're in North America. You can go to lessisnow.com, find all the, the details and dates. It'll be the rest of this year. We go out for three or four cities at a time. And so you can find all the details, find the local theater, find the date at lessisnow.com. I also want to thank uh, a couple other folks. I got, uh, I don't know where Jess went. She's hidden somewhere. Anyway, we're, while we're on the road, oh, she's way back there. Yeah, um, we, while we're on the road, 
Uh, Jessica Williams is is the kind person who curates all of our social media. She also runs our minimalist.org stuff, and she straightens Ryan's hair most nights. <laughs> and so, ladies and gentlemen, Jessica Williams. Yeah. What? She's also just like, just incredibly sweet. Just, I mean, I like when we went to, when we went to like Spy House. Uh, it, I mean, it's, it's art world right now. So like Northeast is like crazy town. Um, and so Spy House, of course, you know, being uh, you know, I don't know, hipster central, um, you know, was just a madhouse. And I walk in, and there's not a seat to be found in the place. And before I even had my jacket off, here she is running around finding me a stool. And, you know, as I get my jacket off, I, just, I sat down, and before, almost before the words came out of my mouth that, like, oh, I'm going to have to go back and get the tea I ordered, she had already gone and gotten my order and was bringing it to me. I'm like, what? so, yeah, just fantastic. She deserves a lot more money than you're giving her. Yeah, she does. <laughs> just saying. <laughs> and you could also support Jessica. At theminimalist.com slash Patreon. There you go. No, it's funny. I don't know who's nicer, uh, Sean Harding or Jessica Williams. It's so funny. Like, they will get into these moments where, like, let's say Sean's trying to hold the door open for Jessica, and then Jessica's like, no, you first, and then Sean's like, no, you first. It's like watching, like, Alexa and Siri, like, battle it out. (laughs) (laughs) It's the most endearing thing ever, but yeah, you're absolutely, I'd second that notion. <laughs> All right, so um, a- after the show tonight, we will, in about 20 minutes, so we'll take a 20-minute break, and then uh, for those of you who want to hang out, we, we will do a quick uh, line. It's a hug line. The hugs are, are, are free and transferable, but also optional, by the way. I know that I know some people don't, you know, don't want the full hug. They don't want the full experience, and that's okay, too. Ryan on, on Twitter has been accused of hug raping people. You may want to say soft hug, hard because these guys just go hard if you don't yeah. like let them know. Well, there's, there, we not... found that there's three kinds of hugs, right? Yeah, they, you all know about this, right? So you got, like you got the bro hug, right? You just you, you walk up and it's like the two three taps on the back, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, you have the side hug where someone's like kind of iffy about hugging you, but they'll sort of walk up next to you and maybe do a little half hearted hug. And then there's the slow dance. (laughs) I will tell you, I am only into consensual hugs, too, so. (laughs) We announce it, though, because we live in Montana, and and most people there have guns. So you have to... You have to say I'm a hugger. Actually, this is a concealed carry state, so it's probably a good idea here. So uh, we'll be out there, uh, hugs, pictures, uh, we'll sign some books and all that fun stuff. I think, Sean, what you were saying earlier is that if they want to be part of that, they should stay seated, and then other people who need to get out of here for whatever reason, um, they want to avoid Ryan, then uh, you'll be able to to leave first after that. Yeah, I'll hang out too. Yeah, and uh, Patrick will be here. He's he's got some, you got some of your books here as well? I do. That would be great. Uh, all right. So, um, and then one last uh, uh, group to thank is how about the folks here at the Cedar? Yeah. Oh yeah. And, and with Ryan's and my books, if uh, if you leave here and you're you're like, well, I I want to grab a book, but I I can't afford it right now, or I just didn't bring my wallet, that's okay. Let us let us buy you a copy. I'd be happy to, to buy one for you. Ditto as as, for mine. 
by the way. Oh, awesome. Thank you. And, uh, and just make sure you minimize it afterward, right? It doesn't do much good on a shelf somewhere. Library could certainly use it or a friend, family member. You can give it to an enemy. Uh, and I, I mean, we have them all over the, the cities here. I don't know how big they are in other places you've gone, but uh, we have little free libraries all over the place. Oh, yeah. Um, and I, I would be overjoyed to find uh, any of my books in a little free library that I frequent. I frequent lots of them, so. Nice. And last but not least, certainly not least, I want to thank you for being here tonight. I, yeah. I, I, don't, I don't know what compelled you to, to come here tonight. I know you had, this is like our first proper tour, so you actually had to pay to get in the door. And uh, that allows us to like pay for the venue and, and Sean and, and to have sound and microphones and all this other cool stuff and to travel here um, and to not sleep on readers' floors anymore. Um, we have a, a proper Hampton Inn now. Uh, a lap of luxury. Although I did offer up my my house when you come back. It was your second houses. house to be. Yeah, sure. it was my second house I offered. Yes. <laughs> there's there's a story behind it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, so uh, so you you paid to get in the door, but you paid a lot more than that. You you gave up your two most precious resources tonight: your time and your attention. And we're really grateful for that. And if you leave here with just one message, we hope it's this: love people and use things. Because the opposite never works. Thanks for being here, y'all. Thank you so much, Minneapolis. Hey, Josh and Ryan. My name is Megan, and I am calling from Madison, Wisconsin. And I'm just calling to share our message about how raising our children with minimalism has had an impact on our family. My partner and I, we took our son, Mason, to their show in the Madison area, and my brother also came along with us, so we were able to have a lot of family discussions about living a life with intention and keeping items that bring us joy. So several days after we went to the show, um, we were making homemade pinatas for Mason's birthday party, and he came outside in the garage and he had a bunch of little toys with him and he was putting them inside the pinatas and I said, Hey Mason, what are what are you doing there? And he looked at me and he said, Hey, Mom, this is all part of minimalism. My trash is another person's treasure. So it was awesome at his birthday party to see all the other kids that were all excited about his his toys that he was willing to give up. Um, so another thing that happened is um Mason was going through and he was cleaning up his Lego sets, and I must admit we have we have a lot of Legos at our house, um, but both of our young boys really enjoy playing with Legos, and there's a lot of intention between, um, behind us having Legos as a toy. It uh, brings a lot of joy to them and sparks a lot of creativity and imagination. So in the Madison area, there's this buy-sell-trade Lego store, which our boys love to go to, and Mason packed up um, several boxes of his Lego sets and his idea was to trade in a bunch of sets for one set that he was really looking forward to having. So we brought that in and he probably traded in 10 sets and and left with one set that is one set that was really exciting to him and and brought him a lot of joy. So it was a great opportunity for us to talk as a family about keeping items that bring us joy and intention between having, having those items. I think some parents may argue we should have 
saved all those toys to make more money off of selling it somewhere else or save it for the next generation. But, you know, for us, it's really important to teach our kids about our values and our beliefs. So I just, I want to share with other parents that this is an amazing journey to be on with their kids and it's a great message for them to have. And even as young as our boys are at eight and four, they're really, they're picking up on the message and it's um, bringing a lot of excitement to be on this journey with, with our children. So I hope I can be helped to other parents that um, join, join the journey of minimalism. It's, it's awesome. Thanks. Hi, my name is Ashley, and I'm from Huntsville, Alabama. Um, And I don't so much have a question as something that I wanted to share that's worked really well for us. I know something that y'all talk about quite frequently is the fact that people struggle with gift-giving and gift-giving seasons and people in their lives who maybe are gifters and they are not. And I know, um, not Ryan, Josh, you said that, you don't believe in the whole gift love language, and I disagree with that. I do. I do believe that there are people that that is, that is just a modality of showing love for them, and I don't believe that it is inherently wrong. I believe that the problem is when their gifting and their need to give gifts outweighs your need to receive love in a different way, and that's an issue we've run into. My mother-in-law is... She's definitely a hoarder, definitely a hoarder. She's an organized hoarder, but definitely a hoarder. Um, Multiple storage units, you know, 3,000 square foot house packed full, that kind of thing. And she kind of bleeds that over into our lives because she loves giving us things. That's just, that's her way of showing love. And, um, And that's the way that she likes to show affection to her grandchildren largely. Not that she doesn't in other ways, but that's a big thing for her. And so the episode on hoarding really resonated with me, particularly when you were responding to the man from Brooklyn who said, my wife is a hoarder and I'm not. And you were talking about the Tara uh, acronym and said that you have to get to appreciating that person for who they are. And I do. I appreciate my mother-in-law. I appreciate that she has this heart that wants to give. But it was taking over our lives because she would show up with just, I can't tell you how many things of Dawn dish soap we have. She would just show up and say, I bought you dish soap and paper towels and this food that y'all don't really eat, but I like it, so I thought maybe you would like it. And it was all out of love, but it was terribly inconvenient at best and smothering at worst. This is Ben. I'm calling actually from Prague, Czech Republic. But I do live in Sedona, Arizona most of the year, and I'm just here maybe 40, well, let's be fair, 60% of the time. So I had a comment. I'm just kind of new to this. I mean, I've gone through different phases of getting rid of things, but never to the extent, obviously, that you guys have. Um, So I just watched the movie, I think, less than a week ago on Netflix, which was, thank you very much, that was great. And um, it just really impressed me what you guys have done. So instead of being a glad-handing session here, I just had had a, a remark, but I forgot about it, but for Josh, I don't know, Josh, if, if you've ever tried swimming, because I was a long-time runner, a little heavy now, so I don't run anymore, and I beat the hell out of my left knee. Um, but I started swimming about seven years ago, and I noticed all the back pain, which for me was completely voluntary. It was marathons when I was like your guy's age. I'm like 50, I'm 61 now. I say 57. That would be nice. Um, 
But I just started on swimming, and specifically freestyle and breaststroke. So you can even do the breaststroke, Josh, even if you don't feel like you're a quote-unquote swimmer. I never was. I kind of learned by doing here. I mean, everybody knows how to swim, like not to drown. But I never saw myself swimming, you know, in lanes like they do over here in Europe. But I've been doing it about seven or so years, and I, what I noticed is all the back pain I used to have, and again, I don't have a chronic pain, I don't have a, the problem you have with your disc, but all of that went away uh, with swimming. And I find that uh, if I don't swim for several weeks, like, you know, busy traveling, something like that, my back starts getting really tight again. So just wanted to throw that out to you. You know, not everybody's interested in swimming. I'm sure somewhere there are indoor pools in Missoula, Montana. But uh, also when you guys, you know, stay around and you go to hotels, things like that, there's almost always a pool. So I'm just saying give it a shot, you know. Hey, everybody, it's Joshua Fields Milburn. And I am Ryan Nicodemus, and together we are the Minimalists. Now, I was just looking up the dates for the second leg of the Less Is Now tour. So, so Ryan and I, we are in the middle of this crazy 40-city tour. We're doing a live talk about minimalism, an in-depth talk about minimalism. We're also recording a live version of the Minimalist podcast. We're answering a bunch of your questions in person. And, uh, oh yeah, and we dish out a bunch of free hugs afterward. Optional hugs. Yes, yeah, yeah. We do hand hugs, too, if, it, yeah. if that's your thing. Whatever <laughs> you like, we were looking forward to seeing you on the road. You can head on over to lessisnow.com. But here's the cities that we're coming to for the second leg of this 40-city tour. We're going to be in Canada again. Oh, man, I can't wait. I love Canada. We're going to be in Toronto, Ottawa, Montreal, Vancouver, Calgary, Edmonton. But then we're headed to the east coast of the United States. We're going to be in Philadelphia. We'll be in Manhattan and Brooklyn, two stops in New York wow. City. Wow, dude, you know, we've made it. <laughs> well, we've, we've never had a stop in Brooklyn, so that's pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, and then we'll be in Salt Lake City, Denver, and Phoenix, heading over to the mountains. And then we're touring internationally. We'll be in Texas. <laughs> <laughs> we're uh, we're going to be in Austin and Dallas and Houston, and then Nashville, Washington, D.C., Atlanta and Tampa. We're finishing off with the South almost, but then there's no better place to spend December than in Detroit and Milwaukee. Wait, who told you that? <laughs> Our booking agent. <laughs> oh, perfect. Yeah, so we're going to be in Detroit and Milwaukee. That's where we're going to finish the Less Is Now tour this year. Head on over to lessisnow.com. You can get your tickets, you can find the dates, the theaters, and you can see us soon. Every little thing you think that you need Every little thing you think that you need Every little thing that's just feeding your greed Oh, I bet that you'd be fine without it Every little thing that you gotta have Every little thing that you gotta have you gotta reach for, and you gotta grab, oh I bet that you'd be fine without it, so take your eyes away, or take 